convention center i think in colorado i want to say and he's like made of wood and he's really heavy and he fell and then just started a lot of chaos on my desk but everyone's fine anyway i was before the little bear accident i was gonna be like we're so funny that we're always so proud when we get through an introduction without messing up right or when we don't get like randomly confused about who goes first because it doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. I think like at first we thought there would be symmetry of like this time Clarabelle goes first, but like who cares? It's just the intro. It's like, just the intro, exactly. No going back to old episodes being like, <laughs> first <love> time. <laughs> Although I bet there are people who are like, this is uneven. And to them I say, too bad. It's like, I'm so sorry. You could just like skip ahead, I suppose. You probably fine. already know who we are. If you know enough about it to know it's uneven, then you already know who we are. So just skip ahead. There's people who are like, no, they did it again. Like keeping they... a tally. <laughs> Clarabelle went first three times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> this is cat discrimination. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um... <laughs> Anyway, how's your week been? Uh, not good. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I mean, okay, it hasn't been bad for any, like, nothing bad happened. It's just that I had a lot of work to do. I had to read. Kat knows how slow a reader I am. I read pretty slow, usually. And I had to read an entire 300-page book basically in a day during a deadline week. Um, and... Then I had to finish revisions for a sample uh, that I'm working on, which was really stressful. I just had a lot going on all mm-hmm. week, and I'm pretty tired, but I got through it, and I did everything, so that's great. I'm really excited about that, but it was just bad. Uh, we had a bad storm up here. Uh, there's We got really lucky. There's actually so many people who still don't have power, like oh like a block away from from us, literally. Um, and my sister doesn't have power and she's not going to have power for like, we don't know, <laughs> like at oh, least no. another week, <laughs> um, which sucks cause it's hot out, you know, but, but it, it was, it was a stressful week. It was, a, it was a deadline week. Um, and it was a deadline week in which I couldn't just focus on, on the deadline, which made it really difficult. Um, I did this cool thing called a genius bank though. Have you ever heard of those before? No, what's that? So it's basically like this thing where you work uh, with a whole bunch of other people to come up with um, both questions and ideas for marketing and promotion of a book. So it's like a whole team of people from like different expertise and everybody reads the book and then you uh, sort of um, put all your ideas together and you discuss it. So I did that this week also, which is why I'm like super... I was super stressed. I had all this stuff to do. And I was, I had one of those moments where I was like a little bit intimidated. Like everybody's bios was like so 
cool. And I was like, <laughs> uh, mine was like, she streams sometimes. <laughs> and I felt like sort of outmatched, but it actually turned out being really great. And I honestly felt really proud because I feel like I contributed a lot and it was one of those moments where it's like you don't know that you know a lot of things in your field until you people start asking you questions and then it was like oh actually I'm I'm right where I'm supposed to be (laughs) so yeah so yeah yeah how about how about you it was good I mean I um what did I what did I even do this week (laughs) (laughs) I the thing is is that I do a lot of freelance and the freelance is creative but like uh, in a different field um yeah, I talked about this in past episodes that like I used to be an editor of Kidlet and it broke my brain um because like everything was Kidlet all day every day 24 7 I was like I can't do this anymore um so I now I do freelance freelance editorial in like different genres and age categories and it's amazing but it is still a creative thing yeah. so Sometimes I have to go back over and be like, I was super productive, but what was I productive in? Right. <laughs> I have to figure out, like, especially because I do my own time management, I have to figure out, like, what I, was my focus last week and what I, if I have to sh- shift that focus, because right. like, maybe there are other projects that I pushed to the back burner in order to get certain deadlines done, but now I need to go back to those. So it's like constant reassessing for me. Like it's like way more than I've ever done before. I have to be consistently checking on my deadlines, updating them if they change, because that happens all the time too. Yeah. And making sure that I'm in the right mindset for the project I have to do, because like I think the most unfortunate thing about like being on deadline and under contract for things is like you can't be like, I have to wait until my brain is ready creatively. You just have to just do it. Yeah, you can't. You can't. That's the that's the part about it that really sucks the most because mm-hmm. you 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 can't wait until you're inspired. Like Yeah. And I remember people saying this a lot when I like when I first started out, like, oh, you you know, you can't you have to the whole thing about writing every day is like bullshit, but also you do need to develop some sort of discipline because when you um, are on deadline and we have a contract you need to turn things in like by a certain time um, so like whether you feel like it or not you have to write so so that like training that muscle um, is really important when it comes to that kind of thing and I, I think that's something that you just have to learn no matter how many times people tell you you just have to sort of uh, learn it on your own um, but yeah it's tough it's not easy it's not, but I mean, I, I'm so happy that this is my problem. You know, right. mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like all things considered, like if my, my issues at other jobs were like, I don't feel motivated at all. And I dread going into the office and right. I <laughs> like my manager is, is not a nice person. Right. Um, so the, if my issue is like, I don't feel in a good creative headspace today, then I, I do realize that. I'm happier at least overall than I used to be, right. but it's still hard. I mean, it's not like it stopped being hard just because I like my job. Right. Um, Absolutely. It's still a challenge at the end mm-hmm. of the day, but like you were, st- we're getting to do what we love to do. And I feel like even when you're writing a book and it's for like quote, quote unquote, nobody, you're still having those periods of stress and sort of being hard on yourself. It's just, I think it's just part of being a creative, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, For sure. Speaking of stress, let's talk about Twitter. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Twitter. Let's, oh, God. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, there was... I wasn't even aware Good. that this had happened Good. until you Good. until you told me about Good it. because which, it melted my brain. I'm so proud of myself that I didn't know. <laughs> um. So so basically, oh, it was one of those moments where like you watch a game of telephone happen on Twitter, and it's like so mm-hmm. completely not the original message, and it like shoots out. So people are having like 27 different conversations. Um, and it was just a little bit of frustrating to watch and sort of like the, um, further proof that subtweeting is 9.5 out of 10 times the worst. <laughs> um, because, because somebody could be subtweeting and the thing that they're subtweeting, like the, their subtweet can, can seem completely rational, right? But the problem is that sometimes they're misinterpreting the thing that they are subtweeting. Therefore, it's not, it, 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 it devolves into this thing. So what happened was yesterday or the day before, I don't even remember when it happened anymore. Um, but somebody on Twitter was saying like one thing that they've learned is to keep certain news close to their chest, right? Um, and they were saying about counting your chickens and how sometimes you can be really excited about something and then it doesn't pan out and you shared it. And I really identified with that, you know, because like, obviously if you're querying, right. And you get a full, a full request, like that's great. And you should be able to celebrate it. Absolutely. But being able to celebrate it doesn't mean that you have to celebrate it publicly. And I think that's the thing that people a lot of times miss the mark on like celebrating does not mean in public always um those are two different things like it's not included in the word celebration that it needs to be in front of everybody and and i think the reason why it it really struck a chord with me was because when you are public about those things if you could just be public about them and then there was absolutely nothing that came of that then fine but that's not how it works because what ends up happening is People become invested in your journey. And if those things don't pan out, you're suddenly going to have 200 people that you don't know that well asking, did you get an agent yet? What happened? Mm-hmm. And you know how annoying it is like when you go home for the holidays and people are like, why isn't your book out yet? And you're like, motherfuckers. And it's like five <laughs> people. It's like that times 150 when you overshare and like, when you share before you should on Twitter, you know, and, and like, if you, if you don't have a problem with that, then fine. But I, I think that the person's advice was really sound and, and, and trying to tell newer writers like, Hey, this is a consequence that you're probably not anticipating about this thing that you're doing. So yeah. just be aware of it. Right. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. It's like, you don't have to not share, but this, these are the things that can happen if you do. And just, this is what I've learned in my journey. So this became a subtweet for somebody to say like, um, we like we should be able to like celebrate our our good news like every time like there's good news like even if it's little and it's like nobody said <laughs> that you can't like yeah. literally nobody said that you can't like nobody said like you nobody tweeted you can't celebrate your good news if you do you're an asshole like nobody said that what people yeah. said was be aware that if you share something before it's concrete before it actually 
has happened, then this is what might happen to you as a result, you know, because a lot of times things don't work out. I can't tell you how many full requests I got. I got tons of them. I got full requests for years before I got an agent. Yeah. And that's part of what made querying more stressful for me because people were constantly asking me about it. People were like, well, she's going to get an agent any t- moment now because look at all these full requests. And I didn't even share my full requests like people do on Twitter. I just shared them privately with people. And that was still too much because people kept asking me about them and it just ended up making me frustrated, you know? It was like on the days when I didn't need to be reminded that I don't have an agent yet, somebody would be there to remind me of it not in a bad way because they just cared but you you you're only one person you know and you'd be surprised Mm -hmm. how invested people get in your journey um so it was just very frustrating to watch it devolve because then other people were like you should always share your good news. Like, I don't know who's saying you shouldn't share your good news. And it was like, literally nobody is saying that. (laughs) And people are like, share your good news with me. I want to hear it. And it's like, this is so frustrating. Like Mm -hmm. the levels of miscommunication, all because the original person who subtweeted just completely misinterpreted what the person was saying, either because they wanted attention or because they just didn't read closely enough and they didn't pay attention to the entire thread and just acted on impulse and i think that's really it's just it's just dumb it's it's such a waste of time um and then somebody else in response to one of the tweets was like you should also be careful about sharing good news because it might hurt somebody's feelings and that i completely think is bananas too because it's like no (laughs) like we have to be able to say the good things that happen to us. Like, I agree you should be careful about uh, sharing things prematurely uh, because of the aforementioned consequences that you might not have been anticipating, which are extremely annoying. But the reason shouldn't be I'm going to make someone else jealous because someone else is always going to be jealous no matter what you say. Like, I'm not going to not say when something good happens about my book because of someone else unless there's like a tragedy happening and it's like the wrong moment you know but like there's always going to be people like 50 steps ahead of you and you have to learn to manage that jealousy like that's not on anybody else but you um i say that with so much love but please learn how to manage it because you're going to be going through it for the rest of your career seriously um it's just something that you need to learn how to deal with people are going to be doing better than you always um and that's okay (laughs) that's their journey and this is yours you're gonna have your moment but if you are always focused on everyone else you're not because you're gonna be giving energy to the wrong thing so so yeah i just wish people would stop subtweeting because this is what always ends up happening it's just um it's just like uh it was just such a frustrating cycle to watch and very well-meaning people saying like like hey i like i support you if you want to like share your news which is great but it's like it stemmed from a from someone who was not saying that and like and i watched that person get frustrated about it too you know as i would have too i would have been like i never said any of these things (laughs) legitimately never said any of these things but but yeah that's that's how twitter works is this where all this jealousy tweets came from the ones where Mm -hmm. they were like 
you will be jealous of your yes, friends. Yes. It's okay. It's not unhealthy. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. And that came from, see, it's, it's so crazy because that came from a response to one of the tweets that was like, don't like, be careful about sharing good news because it might hurt your friend's feelings or something like that. So then the whole jealousy thing spiraled from those responses. It was just a hot mess. <laughs> it was a hot mess. It is it interesting. Like, it's Friday. I think, I think the jealousy threads are, are those are the only ones I saw. I think the jealousy threads had really good points, but it's um, I didn't know where they had come from. Right. But I I did think that that conversation seemed like if it had been taken like on its own isolated was a good conversation to be had only because I do think like sometimes people feel bad about being jealous of their friends and right. they're like I'm a bad friend because yeah. I'm jealous like you your friend is like I got a movie deal and your first thought is like oh, I wish I had a movie deal and you're like no no oh why aren't I just happy for them and and I totally get that but it's it's very interesting to hear where it came from like that it started with <laughs> right a misunderstanding I guess at the end of the day, I'm happy one good thing came out of it. Right, right. If, if I were to think of it like, you know, half his glass is half full, I um, I wish that people took the time to, like, understand what they're subtweeting before they did that. I also wish that some people realize that you don't always have to tweet. <laughs> like, you don't always have to respond to things. Yeah. Um, like, even if something, like, makes me mad, like, if, if I see someone, like, tweeting a thread that's, like, so ignorant and horrible, I, I still take the time to think, like, is me complaining about this on Twitter or, or responding to this on Twitter, is it going to be productive or is it just going to spiral or make me feel worse or be misunderstood or be, like, a conversation that doesn't isn't appropriate for this forum. I think all of those things because I've been around and seen it go the wrong way enough times. Um, but I don't think everyone goes through that checklist in their head before they tweet. <laughs> right. And, and I, I think that like the whole jealousy aspect of the conversation, I feel like that was legitimate because like I said, I do think that there's something to be said for critiquing the idea that you shouldn't share good news because of someone else. I don't agree with that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just interesting. The interpretation that came from the original post. Um, and I feel like part of it is just people are bored at home. Yeah. And anything is, like, flaring people up. And, like, I've totally been guilty of misreading a tweet because I read it really quickly and I was like, oh, that's stupid. But, like, for me to go and subtweet it later, I, I feel like you have to be really careful about those things. Um, yeah. And, 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 and realizing that, like, someone sharing their specific experience with something does not mean that you need to a follow the advice that they're giving and b that they're saying that it's the only experience they're saying that's what they went through and this yeah. person very clearly framed the situation as like this is what has been my experience i just think it's really frustrating because there's so many times where like newer writers are like i don't know where to go for advice and like it's hard to get um to get advice from people um and from other authors and mentorship and it's like well it's because like when people do open up 
stupid shit like this happens, you know? So people are a lot more guarded about sharing things because even something that's so super not controversial can become an entire afternoon's worth of fucking discourse. And it just doesn't (laughs) need to happen. Um, It doesn't. It doesn't. No, I agree. And I was was thinking about the jealousy thing because those are the threads I saw. Mm -hmm. I was thinking like, it's interesting, right? Because I actually think the person, the, it's most likely that you're jealous of your friends or someone who is like, quote unquote, on your level, right? Like, no mm. one's ever like, I'm so jealous of Stephen King. Like, I wish I, like, people would say like, oh, I wish I had what Stephen King has maybe. But like, I don't know if I've ever heard someone say they're jealous of him because they believe he's on a different level than them. Right. So, that's, but, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say, but like, if you believe a person is on your level or on a similar level, like one step ahead of you or one step right behind you, then you kind of think like, if they got it, uh, why can't I have it? Like, that's your I feel like that's like kind of a, a big root of jealousy, right? But I feel like if you just reframe it, instead of being like, if they got it, why don't I have it? It should be like, if they got it, then maybe I can also get it. Because I think that, you know, like you think of what Stephen King has, you're like, that's so unattainable. He's Stephen freaking King. Like who could have that career? Like, you know, like that. So you can never think that you can get what he has. But if it's somebody who you think of more as a peer or a contemporary and you have that moment of jealousy, instead of being like, I'm so jealous of them, maybe take the extra steps. I, I think Holly Black's the one who said this on the podcast. Like it's showing you what you want. Right. And on top of that, if it's one of your contemporaries, it's kind of a sign like maybe you like it is attainable. You can reach it. So yeah. just figure out the steps that you need to take to reach this thing that you obviously want. Right. And instead of it becoming this negative thing in your life, you took this thing that felt bad and you changed it and you twisted it around to be a positive influence in your life. And I think that that's the most important thing. And and I saw a lot of tweet threads that were pretty much saying the same thing, like take this feeling and, and get some good out of it pretty much. Right. And um, I actually have looked into this before because, um, because I'm really fascinated by that, um, that bit of advice that Holly gave um, us on the podcast. I, I always go back to it because I think it's really interesting. And there was a, a article in psychology today that was explaining <laughs> that there's a difference between those two things, right? Like if you want like what's, Stephen King has that's called that's envy right uh-huh. but uh-huh. if you want what somebody has that you already like possess or are, like close to having then that's jealousy so there's yeah. a difference between the, the two things also um and like envy is like when you want something that someone else has that is like not really in your reach right now um yeah. and jealousy is like a rival type of thing um so I I also think that there's something to be said for like using the right language when it comes to um what it is that you're feeling Mm -hmm. I think for the most part in publishing unless again it's about Stephen King then it's most (laughs) likely jealousy um (laughs) but but yeah I think that using it to your advantage um and spinning it is good because otherwise you you can react like one of three ways you can just like let it roll off your shoulders and like not really let it affect you which i don't think is very uh realistic you can 
use it to fuel you to get those things and say like i'm i want to be there so this is what i have to do to to get to that place or you can be an asshole and use that jealousy to try to find things wrong with that author or person because you can't admit to yourself that you're jealous so Uh instead you are going to try to bring them down somehow and it's funny too because i actually talked about I I tweeted about that the other day about how sometimes when people don't like you in the publishing world, instead of just being like, well, I don't like this person just moving on, they will find something about you to sort of make you into a bad guy. Yeah. Somehow, some way, because that's like your attempt to bring that person down. And what I said was that's not going to make you happy. It's Uh not going to make you happy. And it's not, and like your fear of that person, like out succeeding you is, it's you're only helping them along because you're focusing on not your own journey, but on someone else, you know? Um, and I've had that happen to me before. Like people have straight up meet up like complete lies about me and the people that they've gone to have been like, okay, this is bullshit because they know me, you know what I mean? Because people know my reputation. Um, but that happens so often. It happens so often where we let these, very human emotions spiral into something really ugly um and it's like trying to find justification for like why i don't like this person like you don't need a justification you could just not like somebody because their face annoys you like that is completely legitimate and okay um and that's when you know like when you when you truly admit to yourself like this is why i don't like this person like i'm gonna be honest with myself then the course of action is like very clear because if you don't like somebody because their face annoys you there's nothing you can do <laughs> there's nothing you can do you just gotta move on you know just close your eyes every time they're around so you don't right face. <laughs> there's a very huge difference between somebody being truly a dangerous person which is such a strong thing like truly being someone problematic um, between you just someone just rubbing you the wrong way and Twitter has not learned the difference exactly and I will also say that there are people who you know might do or say something that is inappropriate and that's problematic but you know two or three years down the line like you see that they've made active steps and they're and they're really trying and right. you can tell you can see it in their behavior I think it's and I think it's totally fine to reassess how you choose to interact with that person. Like it doesn't make it so that I feel like sometimes people are like, I need to stick with what I, you know, say and what I believe. And if, and if you uh, like, you know, implied you disliked this person two years ago, you feel like, Oh, I can't like them now. But it's like, why, why can't you? We all change. Giving someone a second chance is fine. (laughs) Right. And, and I feel like nobody, especially when it comes to things like racism, right? Like nobody has to give someone a second chance when it comes to that. Like that's fine. But I also think that you should let other people make decisions for themselves in terms of like how they choose to interact with someone else. Um, Especially if, like you said, that person is actively changing and being better. But I also respect someone's decision to say like I am never going to be comfortable being friends or around this person because what they said was like very very harmful you know yeah I completely respect that too but I think that that's like a that's a different level too like racism is like I feel like that's above what we're talking about in terms of like like that's like a code red (laughs) like red flag like bullshit kind of thing Mm -hmm. but when it comes to like human mistakes I feel that because we're so passionate about 
making sure that we're holding people accountable and that people are changing and being better the the line between like people being like truly awful and people being human and making mistakes has gotten so blurred that it almost feels like people aren't allowed to grow and make mistakes and change anymore it's like you fuck up once and you're done you know and I don't think it should be like that I think that we should we should be more generous with like with like human mistakes like errors that people make like not bigotry but like (laughs) I I I I do think like someone could come back from from certain small microaggressions that they didn't realize was in their behavior. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like they they use a term that's ableist, and they honestly did not know that right. it was that it was inappropriate. But as soon as they're alerted, you know, they they fix their behavior. They make some slip up still, but they're actively fixing their behavior. I think right. that's totally that's totally acceptable, and right. we're allowed to forgive them for that. I think the difference is like people who like I, I had a conversation, you know, with 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 someone recently where I pointed out to them, I said, um, I forget which word it was, but it was something like, oh, that's so lame or something like that. And I said, mm-hmm. well, actually, you know, that's what that's ableist. I you know, this is the reason why and this is what I, I've learned about it. You know, I'm not part of that community, but this is what I know. And these are the resources that I used. And the person said, oh, it's good to know. I'm probably not going to change how I use it, but it's good to know. And well, I had a moment where I was like, but why? It's so easy to change it. And and you you gain nothing from using it, but someone gets hurt from you using it. Like you so why not just stop using it, right? It's so easy to not say that word. I haven't said yeah. that word in such a long time. But I, I used so to hard. say it a hundred percent. Because I, I didn't know. I didn't know that it was messed up. I didn't realize that it was messed up. And like and those are the things that I feel like in those instances, like where it's something small, you know what I mean? And and where it's something like the moment that you learn about it, you're like you're able to course correct and be like, I didn't know, I'm really sorry, like I'm gonna do better. And you learn to take those things out of your vocabulary. I think that's really important. That's nobody on listen, nobody was born woke. Like nobody was born (laughs) knowing everything that they needed to say and how they needed to say it. Like we're all gonna make mistakes and we're all gonna mess up. Um I feel like I feel like sometimes where like hashtag cancel culture Twitter gets it messed up is like when they are equating like human fuck ups to like being like a blatant racist. Like yeah. like you don't get to be that and then just like be like, I'm I'm sorry and then everybody's like, It's fine, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Like, that doesn't work like that either. Like, I, everyone who's listening, like, don't get it twisted. Like, when it comes to me saying, like, you're allowed to forgive people, it's, it's, it's very specific situations. I feel like, um, I feel like we can't just, like, excuse bigotry and racism and homophobia and, like, ableism and all of this stuff, um, for people who, who really perpetuate harm and, like, especially on a large scale, um, and especially when they make money for it, it's like, uh, eek. <laughs> Are you donating some of that money? Hmm? Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's like, that's, that's my, I, I agree with you. And um, I, I know we've gotten a little bit off track, but I do think this is important to say. We sure have. <laughs> but like, I, I do think this is important to say, because, you know, we have these conversations a lot on this podcast. And I think we always say, oh, it depends. Like our favorite jokes are always, mm-hmm. it depends. But it's true because, you can't, there's no blanket reaction to someone fucking up. 
because right. it's it's all situational. It's like, how, well, how did they fuck up, right? Did they did they use a term they didn't know was wrong, or did they insist that like trans women aren't women over and over again and write whole think pieces about it, right? You know, like, right. those are two completely different degrees of wrong. And but people tend to have the same form formula of reaction, like right. um, subtweet them start a hashtag so-and-so is, is over, so-and-so is canceled, um, use the term canceled so much that it has lost any meaning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and also, like, try to, you know, push that person out of the community, which I think, like, especially if the mistake that they made is, is an honest mistake, um, then pushing them out of the community does more harm than good because that means they don't have any way to learn, right? Like, like yeah. how are they going to learn that what they did is wrong if we're not will if we're not giving them to space the space to observe what the right thing is right right it would have been like to bring it back around it would have been like it, when i saw the subtweet that i knew made no sense i could have very easily made such a big stir about that and i could have quote tweeted and i could have done all this stuff when it's like the person just made a stupid tweet who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Like, like it's not going to be the end of the world if if you just let this pass, right? We're talking yeah. about it now in, like, the context of something that has passed to discuss how Twitter discourse is the dumbest shit on this planet. Um, but <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean anything about the person who did it. It really doesn't. We've all done dumb stuff on Twitter before, you know? And I just feel like sometimes it gets... Um, it just gets so super blown out of proportion um, when it comes to like our reactions and how everyone sort of like galvanizes behind um, something that doesn't really need that much attention. But we talked about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We, we, we got into it. We have very passionate opinions when it comes to conversations on Twitter, though. <laughs> yeah, we do. We sure yeah. do. The choices made in Wicked Fox have had far-reaching effects, and Myung's friends are about to find out the dire consequences. The forces that govern life and death have been upended, and there are supernatural entities lurking in the background that will stop at nothing to right their world. New romance and dangers abound in Vicious Spirits, the companion novel to the crowd-pleasing Wicked Fox. This contemporary fantasy duology finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and K-dramas. Wicked Fox has been called a vibrant debut novel that employs Korean genre conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly, and fresh and fast-paced by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits are out now from Penguin Random House, wherever books are sold. This week, we're speaking with Janella Angelis. Uh, Janella is a Filipino-American author who got her start in writing through consuming glorious amounts of fan fiction at a young age, which eventually led to penning a few of her own and later on creating original stories from her imagination. A lifelong lover of books, she's lucky enough to be working in the business of publishing on top of writing them. She currently resides in Massachusetts, where she's most likely to be found listening to musicals on repeat and daydreaming too much for her own good mood. Um, where Dreams Descend, book one in her debut fantasy, Kingdom of Cards duology, will be out August 25th, 2020 from Wednesday Books. Hello, Janella. How are you? Hi, guys. I'm 
literally so excited. <laughs> Welcome. The last time the three of us talked, we were sleeping over in your apartment. Oh my god. <laughs> I that remember. was so long ago. It was so long ago. That was the before times. <laughs> Normal times, man. Take us back. Oh, gosh. Um, how are you feeling in general? <laughs> you know, better every day, which is all you can kind of ask for. That's really good. I'm very happy for you. How are you guys doing? We're all right, you know. All right. Mm-hmm. We, we, uh, we ebb and flow like the ocean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, okay, before we get too sidetracked, let's let's get into some, the actual interview. Clarabelle and I know most of the story because uh, for anyone who doesn't know, we have a gigantic friend group, critique group, um, of which Clarabelle and Janelle and I are all part of. Um, but... I find your publishing journey super fascinating. So do you mind telling everyone a little bit about how you got into writing, how you got your agent and how you got your current book deal? Okay. So I guess how I got into writing. Um, So I'd always loved books and I didn't really think that I could ever write them, um, only just consume them. But that was until I was, like 12 or 13 when I really got into fan fiction um I was just floored by this world and I like loved just how joyous it felt to read um to a point where I consumed so much that I was like it must be fun to write this stuff and so I started off writing really terrible fan fiction as everyone does I think and <laughs> that eventually like I continued that for a pretty long time. And I honestly think it was the best teacher writing for me um, because it just was a really good springboard, helped me develop my sense of story and voice and all that stuff, even though what I wrote back then is far different from what I write right now. (laughs) Like I had more of like a snarky contemporary voice and I write like YA fantasy now, which is very different. Um, I still owe a lot to it. And I remember when I was writing fan fiction, um, that was also around the time I was really getting into young adult um, fiction. Um, So I really was blessed in that I was able to grow up with the golden age of YA. Um, So I read like Twilight when I was in like seventh grade and like hit the Hunger Games peak, hit like literally every big YA franchise. I was there (laughs) and I was living for it. And I knew even as I was a teen, I was like, I really want to write this stuff, Um, which is so strange as like a 16 year old to be like, I want to write young adult as a young adult. Um, But it was the place that I felt very comfortable reading. I was a very like shy, reserved person when I was younger. And reading was really that place where I could go and find escape and just, you know, lose myself in. And so I really wanted to provide that sort of experience for someone else when I got older and was able to write books of my own. So I really held on to that as I was um, thinking of what I wanted to do in the future as a quote unquote adult. Um, but I didn't tell like anyone that I wrote. I love it that adults like a... isn't is good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I was like very tunnel vision. I was like, I need to become a writer, but I didn't tell anyone. Uh, my parents literally did not know I was writing until I think like after I graduated college. Oh my gosh. 
it was like a double life for me and honestly it's not because I was embarrassed about writing it was more so because like I really wanted to protect this really special piece in my life um because you know a lot of people when you say like you're an artist or you're a writer they're just like yeah sure or like that's gonna give you lots of money um Mm -hmm. and obviously we go into it not for the money but because we love it so I wanted to do as much as I could to you know, protect my passion and foster my craft without that scrutiny. Um, but of course, you can only go so long without telling people that you're a writer. And that's what you do in your room for like hours at a time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like eventually, um, after I graduated college, which was in 2015. Oh, my God, getting so old. <laughs> oh, gosh. So don't even not on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. We will well, we I, will suffer no ageism, even self ageism, okay? Yeah, You're not getting so old and getting old is a blessing. So stop that. Exactly. True, yeah. true, true, true. I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, after I graduated from college, um, I had a degree in publishing and writing and literature. So all this time my family thought I wanted to be an editor and I was like, surprise, I actually want to be a writer. Uh, <laughs> But of course, like, you can't kind of just jump into it with a successful career. So at that time, I'd been job searching and all that stuff. Um, But finding a job in publishing is hard. (laughs) And around the time I graduated, um, my grandmother also passed away on my mom's side. And that honestly was probably the biggest impetus for me to actually taking this writing thing seriously um because before that I'd been querying by myself looking at my drafts all by myself and you know just thinking I can do this on my own but you really can't um (laughs) you need writing friends you need a community and I just knew when um my grandma passed away I was like you know I should really just focus on writing um rather than you know aggressively job hunting I really felt like I needed you know a break and in that break I really wanted to do things differently with writing this time and this sort of meant um putting myself out there in ways that I hadn't before which meant looking for critique partners (laughs) because weird I hadn't done that before (laughs) and I started off with um I don't know if people still do this now but they have like forums and CP matches where you could just mm-hmm. post your profile and I'm pretty sure I did this on like Susan Dennard's forums and like Maggie Steve Otter's forums and you know you kind of just shoot your idea and yourself out there hoping that someone thinks you're cool enough to email you back <laughs> and <laughs> a bunch of dorks <laughs> yeah <laughs> tricking people to be friends with you but thankfully Um, I guess what I had in my profile was good enough for some people because I heard back from um, a bunch and this was when I was writing my um, my Y fantasy um, a pirate fantasy oh Oh, man well that that book gave me a lot of grief but (laughs) brought me a lot like it was so much hard work but I don't think I would have like the community I have now without it. Cause posting that profile with that book description, I was able to get literally so many people who are in my writing group today, 
Like it first started with um, Maddie Colas and Akshay Rahman and Katie Rose Poole and Meg Coleman, like all these people who we just, we talk to on Slack every day. Yeah. Um, they, you know, were with me with that book and we all kind of just grew as writers together um, from there. And honestly, it's, it's interesting that like a, a family tragedy kind of helped me get to a place where I was like, I need to really pursue this in a way that like, um, that is different from what I did before and use that as like a stepping stone to get to where I want to be. Um, and so I worked on that book for a long time and, <laughs> and, um, I got my agent, um, in like 2016. Yeah. Cause that's the year we met. And yeah. You just, signed, you just signed with her. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my agent is Tale at the Sandra Dykstra Literary Agency and fun story, she that was not the first book I queried her with. I queried her with like a first dystopian novel that was terrible because it was I was querying during the time of the Hunger Games, which as you can imagine is disastrous. Oh. Um, <laughs> but I queried her with that book. Um, and then with Night Island, which was my YA fantasy, and we ended up working together. But it was also a very thorny revision process because we were pretty much revising for over a year and a half um it was just a deeply broken book <laughs> oh no <laughs> those books that like the idea feels too big that when you try to fix it it almost like gets worse the more you touch it and that was this book for me I literally did not know how to fix it but eventually we got to a point where we we're like hey I think this is submission ready <laughs> <laughs> but it was the best I could make it like literally if you feel in your heart you did all you could to make it the strongest possible that is when you know you are ready to just fly and go out of the nest and um sadly that book also didn't work out um Mm -hmm. I it did not sell and it was very devastating honestly but it it taught me a lot and um it really that sadness and devastation was honestly what guided me to this other project I'd been working on which would become Where Dreams Descend and that was the book that really helped me find my writing joy again and I worked on it tirelessly as soon as I knew there was interest because I first like threw the idea out into the book world through like this novel aesthetic back when there was a huge surge of like book aesthetics just dominating Twitter. I made one for this book, but I was like, it's Fan of the Opera meets Moulin Rouge and it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I got like a lot of interest. And in one of our like editor rejections, um, they're like, hey, so I saw that Janelle tweeted this. If you, there's any material that's finished, feel free to send it my way. And so that was sort of my agent and I like our indication that maybe this is an idea worth pursuing. And so we worked on that and through like a lot of passes and just getting to the end of that draft, even though I had been kind of burnt out with that prior book, I was really excited about this idea. And that's how you know you have something special in your hands when it kind of lifts you out of that burnout. And I, we ended up selling um, in March, 2018. 
and announced in May 2018. And now the book's coming out literally in like less than three weeks. Ah, is- so exciting. Oh, <laughs> yeah, by the time this episode goes up, it'll be tomorrow. Oh, so oh. everyone <laughs> hit pause, go, pre- <laughs> go pre-order go it. 20 copies. 20 copies, the prerequisite oh. write or die 20 copies. <laughs> um, it's a requirement for our listeners, and they always listen to us, so it's um, definitely going to happen. Yes. <laughs> for Luceli Luna, ghosts are more than just the family business. Shortly before Halloween, Luceli and her best friend Sid cast a spell that accidentally awakens malicious spirits, wreaking havoc throughout St. Augustine. Together, they must join forces with Sid's witch grandmother Babette, and her tubby tabby chunk to fight the haunting head-on and reverse the curse to save the town and Lucelli's firefly spirit before it's too late. With the family dynamics of Coco, an action-packed adventure of Ghostbusters, Clarabel A. Ortega delivers both a thrillingly spooky and delightfully sweet debut novel with Ghost Squad. Order today at buyghostsquad.com. So let's talk more in depth about having to change gears during your submission process. Uh, you ended up not selling the book you signed with your agent, as we heard, and um, changing to a brand new project. How did that feel? <laughs> and um, how did you like manage having to shelve the old book um, and sort of switch mindsets for a new project? I'm, I'm basically asking like how you work through the sadness because I know that it's not easy. I have been there. Um, yeah. So I want to see like your perspective of how you got through it and how you, um, obviously the new book was part of that healing process for you. Mm-hmm. Well, it definitely sucked. <laughs> like it's, you know, you don't go on submission expecting a book to fail or well you should hope for the best and expect the worst but you kind of want to hope for the best a little bit more so when the worst comes it's it's a lot because writing books you put a lot of yourself into them and it's very emotional writing a book sometimes it's the thing that writes you out of a dark situation sometimes it's the thing that writes you through something and this is what that book definitely was so I mourned that book because um, it had taken, well, aside from just the emotions, it was also just like something I'd worked on for like four plus years of my life. And you kind of just like, well, <laughs> um, I guess that's not going to become a book shaped thing. Um, but of course, like you shouldn't really think of it in terms of like, that was a waste because a book is never a waste. Um, but at the time, I was definitely heartbroken that this thing I'd pull like put all my blood sweat and tears um into was not going where I thought it would be going and for a while I had lost my joy of writing because I was like do I even is this even for me like do I even know how to write a book after this and like a lot of doubt just comes when you can't sell a project or you know you you've worked so hard and you know the what you'd hoped for isn't coming. Um, it's very disheartening and dejecting. So it took me a bit to pick myself up. Um, I bet I mean like just a few short months because I was like, I think I need to work on something new because I, I can't be depressed forever. <laughs> like you have to you have to learn how to pick yourself up in this industry. And I think that was one of the most important lessons that 
that experience taught me um, because we're never always going to sell all of our projects. There will always be those things that need to be shelved or saved for later. So um, I'm kind of glad that I got that Band-Aid ripped off really quickly my first go around um, because now I know that I know how to shelve a book. I know how to make peace with it. I did all I could with that book. And that's how I feel very content with the way things played out. Um, but switching gears was hard at first because um, I was actually writing or finishing up Where Dreams Descend as I was still on submission. So I was still receiving rejections as I was writing, but in time, they got a lot less painful, the rejections, because you just start to lose yourself in the story. And I remember writing Where Dreams Descend, it was probably the most joy I'd felt since writing fan fiction. Um, it was one of those books that kind of was so much fun, such an escape. It's it's basically like a YA fantasy romance. And that was something that like was very opposite to my previous book, which was a bit darker and um, edgier and just not always the fun place to be in. Whereas Where Dreams Descend was a very fun place to be in. And the more I got into that story, the more I was like, I'm okay with shelving other YA fantasy and looking ahead. And um, and that's how I, you know, was able to, I guess, successfully switch gears, which is why I always tell people when you're about to like embark on querying or the submission process to have something lined up for you to work on. Um, cause it really does help to work on something else. And for you as a writer to know that you are still a storyteller, even if a story is not getting picked up. You have so many words and stories and characters inside of you. Um, it's just an added reassurance that you're you're doing what you're meant to do. Um, and oh man, I'm like trying to think of what the other questions were because I feel like that was a loaded question. <laughs> no, that was pretty much it. That was like we were like talk about being sad. Yeah, we just wanted to know how you how you handled everything. That was that was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I I hear I I remember hearing that advice a lot when I was querying and on sub and and I, it's advice that I give other people too. But I think it really helps for people to hear a story where it was like immediately applicable because you 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 know powered through your sadness, you found new motivation and inspiration, you started working on this new project and and even got excited enough to post a novel aesthetic and and it you know, paid off in, in the sense that like, yeah, the first project did not go where you hoped it would, but you already had this one. And I think that it's really important for people to understand that like, we're not just saying work on something new to distract them yourself from it. It's like work on something new because you can find that love again. And it's important. So I love your story. I think it's really inspiring. Oh, thanks, Kat. <laughs> it is. It is. And it's important for people to know that like, signing with an agent for a book doesn't mean that that's the book that's going to be a thing um yeah you just never know how things are gonna unfold um uh, no for speaking sure. of uh, not anticipating things <laughs> how's it been de debuting in 2020 tell us your feelings <laughs> We're, we're changing this into a therapy session now. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm 
read it because I'm struggling through book two. So I was like, great, a pep talk with Kat and Claire. <laughs> <laughs> We're here for you. We're doing it. We're doing it. Oh, man. Well, like, it's interesting. So I was like, well, if I thought I was sad back in 2017, well, <laughs> Pastanella does not know what's coming for her. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a ride. <laughs> Honestly, uh-huh. it's, it's interesting because I feel like every book I've written has been through a stage of pain in my life. And I always say that like my books um, start off or they really find their heart with a seed of pain, um, which like sounds sad, but you kind of put that seed into the book and grow it into something that will make you hope that things will turn out better. And like, that was actually the same with Where Dreams Was Sad, even though it was a really fun book, it was written during a time where I felt very like rejected by publishing. So a lot of my feels about rejection and, you know, doing things against all odds and not always succeeding are in that book. And right now it's, especially hard to create and to promote and I know you guys are probably feeling this too it's like really awkward to be like yeah the world's ending will you buy my book (laughs) 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 so strange um because you know no one really expects to debut with a pandemic happening (laughs) I certainly didn't um I remember the beginning of this year I was just so excited for everything. I had been working so hard just to get to this year. And for the first few months, everything seemed to be going fine. I was actually able to travel and do some, you know, promotional events. So I'm really, really lucky in that I had, you know, moments that I can really lean into and remember as, you know, really great debut moments that I know a lot of people just aren't receiving right now. And it's, it's really sad. Um, But the moment things started getting more serious with the pandemic, I was devastated. (laughs) Um, And I I know you can probably, or not probably, you definitely relate to this, Clarabel, because we're Mm -hmm. both... both roaring 20s and we've just been having a time this year yeah she's been quite a bitch to us <laughs> she has I'm, I'm intrigued to see um to hear about yeah. like what might have been different between Clarabelle's experience and Janella's because Clarabelle you debuted at the beginning of the pandemic mm. and Janella you've had a few months to try to adjust if that's even possible um so like do you, like Clarabelle what what how did you feel like rushed in trying to like um, get things changed to virtual and Janella do you think that you learned from what people in Clarabelle's like season went through um I I think that I was very lucky in that I've as you both know I have been promoting this book since I literally 2017 like (laughs) I started promoting this book before it had an official title like I have it it worked out for me in that I was pushing I was pushing my the marketing and like everything on my own because I really wanted to make sure that I did the most that I could so I felt like I was in a very unique position because I had a platform and people who were excited for me and wanted to support me especially through what was going on you know Mm -hmm. so that's part of it and the other part of it is like 
I think I I think that I um when I realized like I'm not gonna have a in-person launch I'm not gonna do all of these things I have to cancel like all these flights and all these things that I had are definitely gonna be canceled I'm the kind of person who is like what's the next best thing that I can do so mm-hmm. I started to like look into different um ways that I could have a virtual launch and make it really cool and make it feel as close to an in-person situation as I could I really embraced like the digital aspect of it but I also am I have like in the notebook that line that says like you have a two second rebound rate like that's me also like I will get knocked down and I'll immediately start looking for solutions that's just part of my personality I've seen a lot of authors who didn't even want to have a lunch because they were so fucking disappointed and I understand that too because it sucks bro it sucks to have this happen but for me I was just like there's nothing I can do about it I have to do the best that I can. This book is still going to sell. <laughs> and um, I didn't promote this for years for me to now give up um, because of something that's out of my hands. So that was my whole thought process. And then also I was hoping that whatever I did, I could help other people with what I tried out if it worked for me. So um, that was like my very specific situation and like approach to things. Oh my god. I, You're very resilient. Yeah, no, <laughs> seriously, you are an, an icon. Because, like, <laughs> you are though, no, because it's it's really hard to sort of just pivot that mm. abruptly. Mm-hmm. Because like especially when you were in that season, it's like you really had to just switch gears extremely fast and kind of just like recoup all the losses like in ways that we had never been trained before. Like we were not prepared to just like cancel and replan and, and all this stuff. Um, so I really admire you for like having that rebound rate and like for getting back up and just, you know, powering through. It's admirable. Thanks. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like my whole career sort of prepared me for this because I <laughs> constantly had to switch gears and like do things that were not what I expected. Um, and it was either like give up or make the most of it. Um, this was definitely the hardest example of that though. I felt, I cried a lot. (laughs) I'll tell you that much. (laughs) I cried a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I I remember, I'm pretty sure I cried every night for like two months straight. Oh, (laughs) I'm so sorry. Well, it's, well, like, I feel like I've also gone through, like my share of failures that I was like, you know, I can, I can stand up again. I'll be fine. But I quickly found out, I was like, I'm not fine. I'm really, really bad, like, and heartbroken because, you know, you go through a lot of books and a lot of revisions and a lot just to get to one year and one day. And in like a matter of like a moment it it's gone and mm. you have to just pick yourself back up again and it's been they always say that debut year is supposed to be stressful and exciting but for a lot of it, it's been mostly stressful um for a lot mm. of debuts and I guess from my experience um having to publish later um because I was originally supposed to publish in June and I think the thing that was pretty um 
hard to hear the most was everyone kept saying like oh you're in June like things will clear up by then Mm -hmm. like you have a few Mm -hmm. months to recover and like clearly we're in August now and we're so far from recovering from this thing (laughs) (laughs) so like everyone just like kept hoping they're like oh it'll be fine like you don't you can't go to this event or that but you can still have a launch party and of course things have to change and um it was hard um just having to feel all this general sadness of the world on top of, you know, this professional sadness, it definitely didn't make dealing with this pandemic any easier. And um, I also went through like family loss throughout this just due to COVID. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of this year has really been like the perfect storm of terrible, terrible things. And there is a point where I was like, am I even going to make it out of this year? Like, is 2020 just going to like squish me into oblivion? I don't know. (laughs) Um, It sure feels like that sometimes though. I mean, it's a lot, like it's, it's a lot Mm -hmm. to deal with for any human being. And it's like, but you know what? Like you are getting through it like right now. Um, you're actively getting through it every single moment. And I think that's important for you to also remember. Uh Like, every book launch that we will have after this is going to be so glorious. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Because we already went through, like, like, even if we were, God forbid, in the same situation next time we've already been here so it's like we know what it what it feels like and we started off our publishing career in like what's possibly the worst way since the actual plague so (laughs) um so so i feel like we are going to be able to really appreciate um the the good things from now on to you more so than um other people because we know how precious um those those events and like those those things are we don't we it's already hard to get there and we did we were sort of like robbed of like the like the third act <laughs> um, um we were we were robbed of like of like the 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 end where Molly Ringwald makes it to the prom in her ugly dress um the ugliest dress the ugliest she dress. took a she took an okay dress and made it ugly she took one ugly dress one okay dress and she made one hideous dress out of the two of them <laughs> but she did show all those yeah. assholes one thing she told yeah. she showed them that they weren't going to break her she yeah. 100% did and i think that we're going to show and we're actively showing 2020 that it's not going to break us and we're going to come out of this stronger and we're going to have such an interesting story to tell um at the end of all of this and think of all of the um knowledge and all of the wisdom that we're gaining from having to go through this that we can impart on other authors down the line whenever i go through something that's really fucking shitty um and i'll use like you talked about losing somebody during the pandemic i'm really sorry um about that first of all um but one of the ways that i comfort myself when it comes to the fact that i lost my brother is by saying like i'm part of this very specific club of people who knows what know what it feels like to lose somebody and if nothing else i'm going to be able to talk to my friends who go through the same thing from a from a vantage point of i get it i get Mm -hmm. it and this is how it felt for me 
and this is how I overcame it. And like, this is, it takes time. And like, sometimes you're going to feel like this. And like the people who helped me the most when I was going through grief and loss were the people who have been there before. And there's like nothing to sort of, um, replace that lived experience. Um, so I think that if nothing else, like we should look at all of the shitty shit shit we've been through this year as, (laughs) as, as things that are going to not only make us stronger, but like be able to help those who come after us and are dealing with um, terrible things we'll be able to give them advice and make life better for them and then like that's what life is all about like helping each other so um, so there's your pep talk Jamela no, <laughs> oh, I feel like after this year I'm like I will never complain about anything ever again. <laughs> ever again. well here's the thing is that I actually think that because you will complain about things mm-hmm. after this year Janella <laughs> trust me like <laughs> Your second book is going to, like, putting out a second book is no fun. But, I mean, it's fun, but it's no fun. And, but you have a right to complain because you've been through so much shit. Like, you deserve the space to vent and complain more than other people who who haven't been through a pandemic to launch their career. So, I think that the thing is, is, like, you and everyone who debuted this year, you definitely deserve permission you don't even need the permission but here's your permission to (laughs) vent about things because you have been through it Mm -hmm. and and your book is beautiful I think the thing is too is that it's really hard to see the I to think about the fact that people will understand and recognize the beauty that is this book that you have created because so many serious things are going on in this world but we need art more than ever when we're going through trauma and tragedy like Mm -hmm. art is what pulls us through. It's what allows us to connect and communicate with each other. It's what allows us to send messages of hope. It's what allows us to escape from the horribleness. And I think that, you know, your book was always going to be important and meaningful, if only because it's beautifully written, it has great messages, it's creative, it has representation, it's written by an amazingly talented woman of color. But I think it'll mean even more now to readers. So I think it doesn't feel that way right now, but it is what it, it that's what it is to Aww, people. Thank you. Well, <laughs> you know, honestly, what has been really hitting me like so hard the most, like in a good way is, so I wrote this book as a way to escape a really like tough, emotional, mental, physical time in my life. And I've gotten a lot of messages from readers who are saying, like, your book feels like an escape for me from what's happening now. And I'm like, that's all I wanted was for to give that sense of escapism and fun and joy to someone who really needs it right now. And who doesn't need it in these times? Everybody, (laughs) everybody, (laughs) all of us. Yeah, well, for sure. Well, uh, and, and speaking of doing, you know, doing promo in times of, of um, the pandemic, do you want to tell people about how they can watch your virtual launch, which is happening as of this airing tomorrow, Tuesday, the 20th? Yes. Yeah. So uh, my virtual launch party is going to be on August 25th, which is release day. And I'm going to be in conversation with Roshni Chakshi on Crowdcast, and it's hosted by Brookline Booksmith. So if you check out any of my social media, then you can register for the event and join us all for a good 
a good time. Yeah. <laughs> there's going to be I'm so, excited. So, yeah. mu so much beautiful hair in one place. <laughs> I can't wait. So much beautiful hair. <laughs> Ride or Die is brought to you in part by Tee Public. Tee Public is home to independent art on stickers, cases, shirts, and more. Check out our Write or Die store at tpublic.com slash stores slash Write or Die podcast. Our merch will be discounted from August 12th to 14th and August 26th to 28th. Check it out now. So Janella, you told us all about your publishing journey, but can you tell us what Where Dreams Descend is all about? Sure. Um, so Where Dreams Descend is a Y fantasy, which is pitched as Phantom of the Opera meets Moulin Rouge and a dash of the Night Circus. And it's a story that follows an ambitious, powerful showgirl named Kalia who dreams of performing on every stage and making a name for herself as a great magician. Uh, but having performed and been sheltered in a club all her life, she doesn't have much opportunity to just like put herself out there. That is until um, magician's competition comes along, which she joins and against all odds becomes center stage in this spectacle um, that takes place in a very mysterious city. However, things start going pretty wrong uh, behind the scenes and Kalia just starts wondering um, if this is a ghost from her past who's followed her to this stage after all and might be bringing this mayhem so that she may return. I love it. Amazing. It sounds awesome. And it includes, it's, the comps are absolutely epic. Like literally every time <laughs> you say the comps, like people freak out because <laughs> it's Moulin Rouge meets Fan of the Opera, which is like such like epic. Everyone who likes musicals or dramas or mm -hmm. like spectacle loves those. Um, mm -hmm. which, which is why I'm really surprised that Clarabelle has never seen Fan of the Opera. <laughs> what? I've never yeah. seen it. What? I have never seen it. So we're going to play a game, Janella. <laughs> I have collected photos, stills from Phantom of the Opera. Oh my God. And I'm going to screen share with you, with both of you. And for people listening, I will put them in the show notes so you can play along. And... Clarible has to guess what she thinks is happening in these photos. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. So she gets three Janella lifelines and one cat lifeline, which means that three different times she can ask for a clue from you, and once she can ask for a clue from me. Um, and Janella, you can be as helpful or not helpful as you want to be. It's, this is, it's, a, it's a free-for-all game. There are very few rules. Can I know um, what people's names are? Is that... Because I don't even know their names. <laughs> I know um, the Phantom. I'll just call him Phantom. Yes. Yeah, I'll call well, him Danny is, Phantom. Danny Phantom. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, um, how about, yes, Janella, you can give her the main character names when I put the photo up. And Clarabelle, when I first put the photo up, can you, you just, for the people who are only listening, just quickly describe what is sure, going on. I can do the that. Action. And then you can guess what plot thing is happening. All right, okay? here we go. All right, so here we go. Here is photo, <laughs> for people playing along, this is photo number one. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, what's this girl's name? Her name is Christine. Okay, Christine, kind of basic, but okay. So <laughs> Chris a friend named Christine. <laughs> I mean, Christine's a basic name. 
Um, <laughs> all right. So Christine is being rode in a gondola by Phantom, and they're like, they're surrounded by these giant candelabra type things and like candles everywhere, and it's like spooky. He's wearing an epic, like, black cape, and she's in all white, so I guess she's a virgin. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I'm guessing that right now he is rowing her across, like, a haunted river because they're they're both dead. He's taking her to the other side. (laughs) And he's Um, singing about it. Oh, my God, I'm crying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel like we okay so once Clarabelle guesses we should give her the answer right Janella yeah but I wish I honestly wish Clarabelle's answer was the truth wait but <laughs> don't give me the answer because that might give me like clues about the other ones right oh that is true you that can t- true. tell okay. me at the end we'll tell you at the end okay here is photo number two. Oh. okay <laughs> what's this guy's name with the hat okay so this is Raul Dushangi, um, but he is older. Is like, Raul the Phantom? Not the Phantom. Oh God! All he right. is the other love interest. Oh, all right. So you this know, is a love triangle. Oh, sorry. Ah! <laughs> that was a freebie. That was a freebie, Clarabelle. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So this is the guy after he didn't get picked. Um, to be the love interest of Christine. And he was like, damn, Christine's dead. I'm, I don't know what to do with my life. So I'm just going to like sell these like monkey statues on the street. I'm going to make them and I'm going to sell them. But the twist is they're real monkeys. And he has somehow made them follow everything that he's saying. Because he's evil. He's got to be. Look at those gloves. <laughs> and the guy holding the monkey is his boyfriend. Oh, okay. I like that. Oh you God. forgot to describe the photo for people first, but it's okay because your guess is kind of very descriptive. Yeah, it's yeah. just a guy looking at a guy, uh, one of those, I don't know what they're called, the monkeys that hold the little symbol things. and Yeah, like the music box monkey. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's sitting on like a golden black box with a red cushion and then there's a guard type person holding it. I don't know. There's like a nun or something behind him or a nurse. <laughs> I don't know. Something's going on. Everything's dark. It's like ominous. I don't like it. I don't like how it makes me feel. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, next photo. Photo number three. It's about to be dramatic. I can tell just by how it's slow. Oh, whoa. All right. So we, this is... Everybody in the cast is in this picture, first of all. They're on stairs on the stairs and everyone's like in costume. And there's like more candles. This is a very candle heavy uh play. We have a, a woman like in at the center with like a really cute dress. It's like pink and That's blue. Christine. Oh, Christine. And she's next to a guy. I don't know who he is. That's uh, Raul. That's Raul. Oh, this is Raul pre his monkey days. Young Raul. Okay. Yeah. Pre monkey days. So Christine and Raul are are starring <laughs> in a play together it, within the play, and this is like the the chorus line part, and everyone's just singing about monkeys, and that's what inspires Raul later. So this is foreshadowing and. Um, it's like the play is something from Shakespeare. 
that's my final answer. <laughs> that's a, it's a decent answer. Okay. Yeah. All right, photo number four. All right. Oh, mm. well, I'm going to say that this is right before Phantom kills Christine. Okay, and because this looks similar to the setting where he was rowing her across the Cursed River. Oh, for the audience, he has his arm around her neck, and she's wearing the white dress again, which is why I say it's before he killed her. And he's like in a tux, but he has the weird mask on. And there's candles again. Um, it's dark. It's like kind of creepy. Um, so I'm gonna say like they're singing about love or like doing it or something. And then like he, <laughs> she by an accident sees like the other side of his face and he gets really mad and he kills her. And then she's like, but I still love you. And he's like, fine, our ghosts can go on the gondola. That's you haven't, you haven't used any Janela lifelines. I'm so proud of you. I, I mean, I, it doesn't matter if it's wrong. <laughs> okay. For the, for the next one, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pre say that Janela should give you a clue just because it's my favorite of the bunch so far oh, okay and i want to see how janella gives you this clue um this is photo number five. Oh. <laughs> all right what's your clue janella <laughs> um like a clue as to what it is or who who it is or uh, whichever whatever you want it to be um so <laughs> We have met this character before in the pictures. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> Janelle's so vague. I'm gonna... This is also part of another scene that we've already seen a picture of. Oh, that is true. That's true. Huh. Okay. So, for the audience, there's like a Skeletor looking man with a red <laughs> outfit, and he's holding like a book that looks like a gift, also. And he's like singing. He's definitely singing. He's wearing a hat. Okay, there's a lot going on with this outfit. It's a lot of fabric, like tons of fabric. I'm sure this costume was really heavy. He has like jewels near his pee-pee, I think. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm going to say that he, I'm trying to think. Um, so I see another hand in the shot and I see stairs so I'm gonna think that this is part of the scene where they were all dancing on the stairs um the musical and since the other guy was Raul I'm gonna say this is the Phantom of the Opera after he goes across the cursed river and now he's like looks like death and he came back because he was like Christine I have a gift for you and he's trying to deliver it oh my god I can't this is this is actually killing me <laughs> okay all right so, so very quickly, because um, <laughs> this took longer than I thought it would, but it was I love all these answers. <laughs> I'm going to let Janella tell you what each of the photos is about, starting from the beginning. So n photo number one, where you thought that the phantom was rowing Christine to death. <laughs> is he not? <laughs> I mean, honestly, your answer was more interesting, <laughs> that they are like in the underworld. He's actually rowing her across the sewers to his secret lair and romancing her and his strange little dungeon Ew. in the sewers. In the sewer. Ew, I hate that. They should rewrite it to be what I said. They should. They should. There's okay. rats down there. I'm sure of it. Photo number two, which you thought was Raul selling <laughs> monkeys. real live monkeys 
um, to people with his lover, his male lover. Okay, well, this is definitely not a live monkey. This is <laughs> a monkey music box that belonged to the Phantom, and the scene takes place years after the events of Phantom of the Opera. So Raul is a little bit older, um, and he's purchasing this monkey box that belonged to Phantom um, because presumably the fa- the Opera House has burned down, and all that remains are these ruins. And um, he buys this monkey box because he remembers Christine, who he ends up with, talking about it. Oh, I was wrong. But, you know, there, there's, there's nothing canon that says if this man is or is not Raul's lover. So it's not <laughs> I'm going to choose to believe. <laughs> all right, photo number three is all the people dancing with Christine and Raul in the middle, and you thought that they were in a play? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. Um, <laughs> Janela, no. No. This is... um. The masquerade scene, um, one of like the the big songs in the musical, and this takes place a couple months after Phantom has um, dropped the chandelier, and everyone thinks that everyone's fine, that everything's fine. They're like, we haven't had any mishaps or injuries or accidents. We can have a party, and so everyone's kind of just like running around having fun. Christine Raul have been engaged, and this is just the fun number. Masquerade. Yeah. Masquerade, masquerade. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is the photo where you think Phantom is about to murder Christine. He should have. <laughs> Honestly, it, it really does look like it, actually. But no, he is actually serenading her with music of the night, which is his like big, you know, here I am, mm-hmm. wanting to romance you and make music, sweet nightly music with you. Um, <laughs> so this is after he has like taking her from the sewer they're in his bachelor dungeon right now and he's mm. just singing to her okay and she's like she's like seduced by it like yeah this is her look at that here. yeah her eyes are like, closed seduced. she's like feeling it 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. all right this is the one with the outfit where you mentioned i, did, I was really lost with this one um and you think that phantom has become death <laughs> You are honestly pretty close. He dressed up as the Red Death. Damn, I'm smart. And he is sort of just bringing down the masquerade party by being like, hey guys, I made this new musical, Don Juan Triumphant. You guys must perform it or else more trouble will come your way. And so he basically like made this entire musical and threw it at everyone to perform. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest. To be honest, the the energy of this scene is very, it, it feels like it should be very Clarabelle level because he's pretty much like, I wrote this book and you will perform it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, I think that's why I guessed close because I could feel it in my heart. <laughs> okay. So that was our game. <laughs> I did my best, everyone. <laughs> you you tried your hardest, and that's all anyone can ask of you. Yeah. Best answers. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Clapping for Clara. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Phantom is a really angsty um, play about about illicit love affair, pretty much. I think that's how I perceive it. How do you perceive it, Janella? And, and like, how did it inspire? Where dreams ascend. Oh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, it's strange because I'd always grown up with Phantom since I was young. It was like music that always was around me and a story that was always around me. And I remember thinking it was like 
very romantic. I loved it. But the older I got, the more I started questioning a lot of what was happening. And coming from my fanfic background, you always just question, like, what if this character did this instead? What if this one did that? And that was a lot of what I brought into Where Dreams Descend, because obviously the work is very flawed, like all work. Um, the dynamic between Phantom Christine is not great. <laughs> I do not like Raul. I think he's like the worst. Like no one's really <laughs> great. So it's like, why do I even like this? So I wrote for Dreams of Sun, like, how can I put all of my like wish fulfillment dreams of what I wanted to have in Phantom into a book? And so like, I actually make my Raul counterpart likable to me. I start to address <laughs> the weirdness between my Phantom and Christine, like, all of the things that I was just like, I wish they explored it differently. I tried to do that with Where Dreams Ascend. Um, and of course, I still love Phantom. It is a successful, beloved musical for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, but it's important to acknowledge, you know, the flaws and the problems um, and all that, along with appreciating it, of course. <clears throat> it's definitely a musical that's carried by the music. The music is yes. so good. Yes. But um, the story is it's interesting. The story is a bit thorny. <laughs> <laughs> they should have consulted me. I would have had them. Oh my god! Yeah. I mean, let's do a Phantom of the Opera revival, you know, on Broadway with Clarabelle's new book. Um, you write the new book for it, and we keep the music. Or and... or just make Janella's book the revival, because oh, that would make a lot more sense. Oh, that can you imagine? <laughs> That would be really cool. I would die. I still want the the death that like him becoming death and rowing her to death. Yeah, that that's cool. That's core right there. Yeah, I make everything about that though. That's me. I'm like somebody just died. It's <laughs> like the only prompt I need. <laughs> Are you a Latinx kid lit writer? Are you looking to hone your craft and build community and get feedback from industry professionals? The Highlights Foundation Latinx Writers Virtual Symposium is an in-community workshop which includes lectures, panels, critiques, and Q&As taking place September 15th to October 15th. To learn more, visit highlightsfoundation.org. Janella, everybody who's on the podcast gives us either their most embarrassing publishing moment or something they wish they'd known before they started. It could be uh, either or, it could be both. It's up to you. Oh my god. Well, okay, I'm gonna provide both because I, I, I thought of Yay, both. my favorite! <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if this is like a publishing embarrassment so much as a personal embarrassment. But <laughs> it's fine. Either one is good. <laughs> this happened actually very recently um, after, when the pandemic was like really starting to hit and things were just not looking too good I remember I was just like so sad I was like oh no what do I do and I knew a lot of other people were doing that too um, and had really taken to social media and I noticed that a lot of people you two included Clarabelle were just like shooting your shot with like random celebrities well you got King Lin-Manuel Miranda to like <laughs> literally get your book and everyone's just like you know rejoicing that like hey the pandemic sucks but hey look Lin-Manuel Miranda knows who I am. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I should do that too. Uh-oh, I'm so scared. Oh <laughs> okay, so, oh my god. I hate this. I hate myself. <laughs> so I had 
added Andrew Lloyd Webber before. Never got any response back. So I was like, you know what? I think I need to do things differently. <laughs> I'm so scared right now. I'm terrified. Well, all I really wanted to do was like see it to tell him like, look, your your musical has, you know, inspired me so much. I wrote a book. I would love to send you a finished copy. Like nothing creepy, at least. I don't think it was creepy, but whatever. Um, so I decided to send him an email. <laughs> Um, but like when I went to his website, all you see is like this very professional contact form. It's definitely just for like journalists and reporters like wanting to do interviews because they're like, what is your message about? An interview request and an event request? And I was like, no other. So like, I write this really, oh, mind you, I think I had like too much wine that night as well. Oh, which is like- I love it. This combination <laughs> is speaking to me on so many levels. This is what I call a story. <laughs> it's it is, it is pure mess. I like sent this soft story email. And for some reason, when I hit send. I was like, that was good. I did good right there. <laughs> like, I remember I, I uh, texted Mara, Mara Fitzgerald right after. She was like, what did you do? Oh, my God. <laughs> Mara would never agree to something like that. <laughs> she has seen a lot of my uh, my pandemic mistakes and <laughs> bad choices, but <laughs> I I sent that email and I did not even think about it for like another few weeks. And lo and behold, I open my email and I get this email from um, Angela Lloyd Webber's team. And I'm like, oh my God, like what's happening? <laughs> And it is literally like a form rejection from Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber. What? <laughs> it was rejecting like, you for what? To send him your book? Yeah. Well, they were like, uh, "Dear Sunder," <laughs> no. so I was like, "I've not been rejected this way in so long. This is great." <laughs> and basically, it was like, "We do not accept unsolicited material for any of his musicals." Blah blah blah. Um, sorry for this disappointing reply. And I was like, I would get form rejected by Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber. This is perfect. It was cold, but like, you know, funny story. (laughs) I think it's legal. It's a legal thing though. Cause if he ever wrote a musical that had like a showgirl in it, then you could technically sue him and be like, that was my book. And I sent it to you. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's a legal thing. Yeah, no, that makes, I like, in the email, it was like, this has not been read, seen, or accepted by him. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I I sent you an email. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a legal thing, for sure. That's why they were so, like, um, weird about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, I, you know, I shot my shot, and I'm proud of you. Listen, (laughs) listen, people only see the fact that Lynn is reading my book. They don't know the fact that I've been adding him since 2017, bro. Okay, it took me a long time to get his attention. um, And then it finally happened. So just because you got, you know, iced out this one time doesn't mean he's never gonna acknowledge you and write back someday. Um, I'm proud of you. Oh, yeah. thanks. Well, I'm very <laughs> excited that you got Lynn manuel Miranda because I, like, screamed as soon as I saw Oh, me too. I <laughs> oh, have my... that tweet uh, printed out on my fridge. <laughs> as you should. As you should. I really do. I'm not kidding. <laughs> oh, um, Janelle, you said you also had advice that you want to give yes. new writers. Yes. Um, so I 
when I think back on what I wish I knew before I really went into this, um, I think back to this quote that Andre DeShields said, who is, he plays Hermes in Hadestown the Musical. Um, and when he accepted his uh, Tony Award, he said, the top of every mountain is the bottom of another. And mm. that spoke to me a lot um, because in publishing, especially when you start out and you're very idealistic, you think, oh, if I only get an agent, if I get published, all my problems will disappear. And it's like, no, when you reach those milestones, you only work harder, you get more work, it gets more difficult. Um, so like the more milestones you hit, the more mountains you cross, there are so many more after that. And like, I don't mean that to be disheartening in any way. I just mean it to be like, when you go into this career, you have to really want it, want it enough to climb every mountain just to climb another one after that. And I think that's what it boils down to with writing and the arts is um, you go into this because you love it and you want it. Um, and that should be the heart of, you know, every journey when it's starting out um, to where you want to be. Yes, I love it. And that's, I agree. Advice. Great Yay. advice. Yeah. Um, so it took everything in me not to break out into song when you said climb every mountain. <laughs> climb every mountain. <laughs> <laughs> See, sound of music I know about. That's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, that's classic. <laughs> um, all right. So, Janella, everyone who's on the podcast, nope, I did that Wait, part already. You did that one? <laughs> I did that one. Um, Janella, thank you so much for being with us today. Can you tell people yeah. where they can find you on the internet? Sure. Um, I am on Instagram, Twitter, at my handle is at Janella underscore Angelus. And you can find me on my website as well, which is www.JanellaAngelus.com. We'll put those in the show notes. Oh, yeah, it'll be in the show notes. And everyone go pre-order your prerequisite 20 copies of where dreams descend watch oh, phantom of the opera and let me know if you think that they should have made that gondola be going across the cursed river or not let's talk about it um yeah. thank you janella for being on right or die <laughs> oh, thank you guys this was literally one of my author bucket list things oh, like, you, you guys are my first podcast interview and i was like <gasps> i would love one day to because your podcast has helped me so much through the years, like so much. So it's an honor to be talking with you guys and to be one of the authors on the other end of this. So Yeah, you're famous now. Yeah. <laughs> I made you famous. Yes, guys. Thanks for listening to Write or Die. Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Kat Cho. And Ghost Squad by Clarabel A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, Wordies. And don't forget to spread the word.